Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 24 on our study on the Holy Spirit. Emily and I are walking alongside of you, and we're so glad that you have chosen to join us today, whether it's through iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or from our website. Thank you for being alongside of us. Emily, I welcome you today. Thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. This is uh, one of those studies that um, you are going to take the lead on, and I'm really excited about it because it's you have this uncanny, uncanny, is that right? You yeah, have, yeah, that is a word. Yeah, good. You have this uncanny ability to make connections and draw uh, lines between things that I have not been able to do or I can't see. <laughs> and um, that is not is that a, a back, compliment? No, that's not a backhanded <laughs> compliment. I'm just going to say that is the truth. And I appreciate it. I really do. Well, I wish I could take credit for this this one, but um, you know, we, and we've talked about this before, where things just repeatedly show up. And so I was um, reading. I started this book, another Francis Chan book called Letters to the Church, which. When I bought it, to be quite honest, this book has not turned out to be the book that I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was more about revelation and those churches. And those, oh yeah, yeah. And the letters the to the churches, church, yeah, yeah. Those those churches about that. Those letters to those churches. So I thought, oh, this will be interesting. You know, um, that's not what this book is about. But um, he made this reference, and then lo and behold, weeks later, in the study we're doing with the high school girls by Annie Downs, she made the same reference. And I thought, that's weird. That's mm. just weird. I, I want to look at this again. Um, I want to look into this and dig into it myself and see what what I can figure out to uh, get my own thoughts and, and that's one of the that's one of the ways that we see the Holy Spirit making those connections. Yeah. I mean, and it's just not in what we're reading or hearing. I have noticed in my own life that if I hear a biblical truth or a truth that uh, I know to be true in Scripture, like Jesus saying, you know, you are mine and I am yours, and 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 this 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 reminder, and I start to hear it from different sources over and over again, my antenna kind of pop up and I say, man, this must be important. I recognize yeah. it. And it's in those moments that I start to see the grace of God. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely. And I and I heard a, an analogy the other day that on one hand I agree with and on the other hand I don't. And I don't remember the, the person that's, I don't remember the name of the person who said it. But um, something that I was listening to is like, you know, when you start thinking about I'm going to buy a new car. And I think I would like, let's say, a Jeep. Right. I, I want to, I'm going to look at these and see, you know, is this what I really want? That all of a sudden, that's what you start seeing everywhere. Hmm. Oh, there's another one. There's another one. And there had been studies about this done. And and, and, and then you go, oh, go, yeah, I, that is true, that you notice them more when they're brought to your attention. So on one hand, this is kind of like that because I'm more aware, I guess, of things. But on the same hand, it's not just chance. It's not just coincidence that as I – or maybe it is. I mean, it's not just – it's not that it's already there and then all of a sudden I'm noticing it, which can be true sometimes too, but – I think it is the Holy Spirit being intentional and saying, hello. Yeah, because many of this. those messages are what I need to hear at that moment. Yeah. That is the profound 
transcendent reality, even if it is something, okay, I heard this and now I'm starting to notice it everywhere. Yes. But it is what I need right then. Yeah. That is the the hand of God in it. Yes. Well, and it's just like when we talked with Carlos Whitaker um, all those many episodes ago, um, him saying when you start praying for things and noticing them and and you're saying, okay, God, I want an answer to this or, or what do you think about this situation or whether it be like in his, his illustration was going to lunch where he should go to lunch and you start listening, then you do become more aware of, of God moving in his voice and, and, and discerning what he's saying and where he's leading. But it can't just be like that. Oh, well, yeah. It can't just be, uh, well, God's, oh, there's God again. He's, it can't become just something that's happening all the Humdrum. time, whether or not I'm annoying, annoying, or I am annoying. Um, whether I'm cognizant of the fact that it's going on or not, it's not like, I don't know, John. It's not like it's, I mean, of course, God is working and doing without me and will. Right. Whether I jump on board or not, whether I'm obedient to follow where he's calling or not, whether I go, hey, I need to look into this because I've seen it five times. He's still working. And if I don't do it, he'll go on. But it's not like it's just run of the mill. Here's the Holy Spirit doing stuff. And oh, I caught that one. I do think it's more intentional and more pinpointed. Right. I think a lot of the drive between me and you when it came to starting this series was centered around the idea of the Holy Spirit being the unspoken part of the Trinity that many folks just, and and rightly so in some ways that you don't see a lot of the work of the Spirit until it's already happened. And then you're looking back and you're reflecting about it. And I think those moments where we do realize that there are these movements of God Those are those glimpses of grace, I think, that have a very real benefit in our lives at that moment. Yeah. When God talks to the Israelites, he gives them a history lesson and gives them a promise. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of captivity. Mm, That's right. Yeah. And he says, I am the Lord, your God, your God, that that very real promise, but then gives them this history lesson. And if the Israelites never realized that it was God's hand moving, then their present remembering of that or their present moment, it doesn't have that much effect on them. They can't see and live into that grace at that moment. Right. And I think those there is a benefit to us in the sense of it emboldens our spirit and our faith because we're broken people. Yeah. We're driven by so many different things. We're consumed by so many vices and so many broken relationships and, and so many unknowns Yeah, that, that God in his grace and his love actually does this intentionally and deliberately so that we can live into a fuller, richer, abundant life with him. And yes. that's not tangible abundance. No. That is that presence that God is with us. Right. And this is going to segue perfectly into what I want to talk about today. It's the Ark of the Covenant. 
And some of you may be going, what in the world is the Ark of the Covenant? I've never even heard that word or knows know what you're referring to. But here's how it's going to segue, because this humdrum, just, oh, yeah, 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 the Holy Spirit's around, we're paying attention, blah, 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 doing all this. Oh, look, there's a little note or a little message for me. Here's somebody, oh, here's a prod of something I should be doing. When Saul was king of the Israelites, and they were battling the Philistines, and they were losing, Saul's like, oh, wait, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant with us. Somebody go get it, and we'll start winning. Go get it. Go get it. And so they brought it down. The priests went and got it and brought it down. And guess what? They lost anyway. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant because Saul and the people were using that as their lucky rabbit's foot. They were using it and taking advantage of because they should have already had it with them. They should have been inquiring of the Lord. They should have been laying the battle down at his feet to begin with and going into battle with God already being there with them and his spirit going with them like he had been doing. But in this instance, they went on and then they were like, oh, wait, we're not doing good. What's what's missing? Oh, it's the ark. We got to go get the ark of the covenant and bring it back to us. So that ark, here comes the history lesson. (laughs) And I'm going to get part of it wrong. <laughs> so theologians and doctrine people, just bear with me. <laughs> John, jump in when I get it wrong. Because we first get the the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25. And this is when Moses has already been up on Mount Sinai, and he's been talking with God, and, and Aaron and some of the priests have been with him. And the just amazing thing is, here is God And there's so much smoke that comes down and there's all this fire that even the priests are like, oh, gosh, we can't go any further. And God's like, yeah, that's right. Moses, come on up. The rest of you stay down here. Like the the Israelites couldn't even get near the mountain because there was so much holiness contained there. So it was like this huge cloud settling over it. So God gives Moses in his time up there, he gives him these very specific instructions for what the Ark of the Covenant is and how it will be built, what materials to use, the very the very um, length and the specifications of it and what's to be in it. So it's so specific. And not only were the dimensions and everything specific, but the way that it was to be handled was specific. Right. Only the priest could carry it. Only the priest could. And it had to be on these rods that they were carrying. That was very specific and God meant it. And since the Israelites at this point are still wandering, they're still in the desert. This ark went before them everywhere they went. And when they got to somewhere they would stop, they'd raise a tent, this makeshift tabernacle and house the ark in it as they were stopped. So it went everywhere they went because they obviously had to keep carrying it as they moved on. So, and you read about it in um, Joshua, you read about them taking it into and how it, how it crossed the Jordan into the promised land. I mean, you, you read all these instances of the ark and where it is. Even around the battle of Jericho, the priests, the ark and the priests were to go and they were supposed to be silent for those seven Mm -hmm. days. I mean, it was go before them. Yes, which is beautiful. 
what a beautiful picture that is, because that was to represent to the, to the Israelites the presence of God. That was his presence among them. That was his presence on earth, that his, his presence would dwell in this box, which, <laughs> I mean, that's... <laughs> well, yeah, and I think the last chapter of Exodus gives a beautiful picture of the Shekinah glory that after the tabernacle was done, the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwelt in that Holy of Holies. Right. It is a beautiful... I, I can't imagine what that looked like. No, I can't either. And the fear that was associated with it, because, I mean, no one went in the Holy of Holies except the head priest, and that person was chosen by God himself. So they were anointed and chosen as that head priest, and no one could go in there but them. And they were so afraid because they would tie a rope around his waist. So if he touched something wrong or wasn't quite reverent enough, he'd drop dead on the spot, and they could pull him out with the rope. Yeah, and say to everybody else, okay, who's next in line? And could you imagine <laughs> yeah. the feelings of, I mean, he is, you know. It's not me. It's not me. Please don't pick me. You know. That it was the reverence and the fear of the Lord that came and the ability that God would strike you dead if you did not follow what he had said about this specific thing. Um, Because he got, you know, they kind of went, yeah, you could get sideways on some of his things and not die. Not this one. That's right. He was very specific with the care and everything. And getting back to where we started, Saul, it was captured. It was captured. And... While it was captured, the Philistines put it in a temple next to their God. (laughs) I love this story. I mean, yeah. And so the next morning they go in (laughs) and the idol is on the ground. (laughs) It's leaning over. (laughs) And they pick it up and they set it all back up. The next morning they go in, knocked over, and its head and its hands are chopped off (laughs) at the threshold of its little temple. And so that's why, to this day, <laughs> they don't step over, they step over the threshold because that is, and so they were eventually like, we can't, this thing can't be here. We got to take it somewhere else. So the Philistines are just passing it. No, nah, you take it. No, you take it. I don't want it because everywhere that the ark went while it was in the Philistines' possession, people were sick. It said tumors. They would just get tumors all over and these random things would start happening. So God let himself be captured, <laughs> and but he also got his revenge on these people <laughs> as it happened. So David, when he becomes king, is like, I'm going to get that back. We want it back. And David gets it back. And when David is bringing it back, I don't know if he forgot. I don't know if he kn- didn't know. It was on a cart. It wasn't being transported the way that it was supposed to be transported. The rules were not being followed. And one of the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah the priest reaches out to steady the ark to keep it from falling on the ground with his hand, and he falls and drops to the ground. And we think, oh my gosh, that's so harsh. His intentions were good. He didn't want God to hit the ground. He, he, He didn't want to do that. Yet, he wasn't following the rules. They had forgotten the rules and the reverence of the ark. It wasn't a lucky rabbit's foot. It wasn't just some relic that had been buried and uncovered and passed around. This was the 
presence of the Lord. And it was a re- constant reminder yes. of that covenant that God was making with them that yes. you are my people, you are mine, I am yours in yes. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Yes, and he said, you know, I have fed you, I've brought you out of Egypt, I have fed you, I have taken care of you, I am leading you, I am with you, here's what I need you to do in return. There it is, that covenant. And they wholeheartedly said, yes, we'll do all of those things. Yes, we're doing them all without a second thought. They automatically agreed to it, but they had forgotten. And I read something that said, you know, that ark also not only was its God presence, but it served as a status for the Israelites. It served as kind of a where's the ark? What's going on with it? That will tell us how the state of the Israelites and what's going it's on. It's a litmus test. Yeah. This serves as their status to see if they're okay. But David, who is admittedly a little bit upset about this, <laughs> about Uzza just dropping dead because he's like, that is so harsh, God. So he won't bring it back in. And he says, mm, we need to send this somewhere else because I'm a little bit of afraid of it because I don't want to die. And so wherever it ends up, that household flourishes and is blessed beyond measure. And finally, David is like, okay, I got to go get it. Yeah, I want to get me some of <laughs> I gotta, that. I, if there, uh-uh, I got to have that. So he goes and gets it and he brings it in. And this is where he is full out praising the Lord, dancing behind this, before, I guess behind, behind it. And is just praising the Lord that it's coming in. And he gets all wild and his, his overcoat comes off. And so he's in his tunic and his wife, Michael, is watching and she's like, Oh my gosh, I am devastated by this. He looks Don't like an idiot. Don't embarrass me, David. Yes, everyone can see you, you fool. <laughs> so he gets back to her and she's like, what are you doing? You look like an idiot. Everyone has seen you in, in your robe. That is so embarrassing. David, you should stop it. You should be embarrassed. <laughs> Ladies, haven't we always said that? Not always, but don't we say that to our husbands? What are you doing? You look like an idiot. Yes. <laughs> I can we tell do. in my wife's eyes that <laughs> I just need to stop. <laughs> Whatever I'm doing, I just oh, need to stop. You know, does this look all right? Is that what you're wearing? <laughs> I didn't know that that's what you were wearing today. Okay, that's fine. So this is the the what takes place. And David's like, hey, don't you dare tell me how I can or can't worship the Lord. We've got the ark back. I'm bringing this back to us. It's going to be in its rightful place where it's supposed to be. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do. And Michael was therefore childless Hmm. because she didn't, A, join in the celebration, I guess, and was more concerned about what the appearance. She was embarrassed by her husband praising the Lord and being so caught up. And what God had done and had allowed him because he had to defeat the Philistines to get it back. How many times does David have to beat the Philistines, right? Over and over again. And here he'd had to do all these things. And she didn't celebrate with him. She didn't praise the Lord with him. She stood on her balcony and judged him. And then she gets a judgment. She receives a punishment for that. Now, whether or not she realized and drew the connection... I don't know. But we see this wonderful thing of David getting it back. And John, you were talking about Nathan and David. And David looks out and sees it. And he goes, you know, I have this great palace. 
have this wonderful place to live. The Lord has blessed me. And he is out here in a tent. The presence of God is in a tent. I need to correct that. I need to correct it. And Nathan says, yeah, absolutely. Do it. Let's build it. We got all kinds of stuff from all these people we've conquered. We've got all these spoils. We've got all these gems and precious metals. And we've got all the the best building materials. We can do it up good. <laughs> we can make a good one, right? And God says, no, David. Uh-uh. You realize I've given you all of this. If I'd wanted myself to have a house, I would have... I want to take care of it. Yeah, I, David, I don't I, need your help. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't need your help. And of course, Nathan is responding to David and his initial reaction is, sure, David, do what you want. You know, go. That would be great. That would be wonderful. What a great idea. And then the Lord speaks to Nathan that night and gives him a little bit more clarity in Second uh, Samuel 7. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? God tells Nathan, go back and tell that rich guy not to give me his money. Verse six, it says, I have, this is the Lord continuing. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to Mm -hmm. this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. And in verse seven, in all places where I moved with all the people of Israel, Did I speak a word saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You're going to build me a house, David? You think I'm worried about my accommodations, that there's a sense of jealousy, that that I need you to do this for me? David, have I ever said, I'm tired of this little warehouse you've put me in, or this little drafty old tent? Cedar's for hamsters, David, not me. (laughs) You have no idea what my house looks like. Wow. Isn't that just mind-blowing? Here David sits in opulence, his gigantic palace that everyone is probably envious of, that everyone looks at and says, oh, my gosh, look how, look at David. Look at how well he's done. He's so successful. Everything he does turns to gold. Look at him. And God says, this isn't anything. You ain't seen nothing yet, buddy. (laughs) You can't. Yeah, that's nice. Mm -mm, Not good enough for me. (laughs) It is amazing because right after this passage, kind of dovetailing to what you says, God goes into the, the Lord goes into these future statements of what he's going to do. I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be distributed no more. And I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Yeah. David, Mm. I don't need you to make me a house. I want you to see the bigger picture here. I'm going to make you a house. Yeah. I'm going to make you. Now, this is one of the attributes of God that is so mind boggling. Yeah. That he intentionally and deliberately uses his broken, raggedy old creation to yeah. be the vessels through whom the kingdom of God is declared and revealed. Yes. I mean, he could just, you know, do the old I dream of genie, put it across his arms and nod his head or, or twitch his little <laughs> nose or whatnot. Yeah. And his kingdom would be revealed to people. Yeah. 
the house would be built. Yeah. But it's not about what is around us. It is about what's within us. Yeah. And that was one of the intersections that David had to cross. Yeah. And it's almost, and then God says, you know, I appreciate though your gesture and your offer. I appreciate this. You go ahead and collect things. You start the storehouse. You start storing things, building things up, and I'll let your son build it. So you get everything ready. So when your son takes the throne after you, he can do it all. He can finish it. This will be, you know, his legacy of what he's done. And David says, okay. I'm sure there was a little bit of hesitation there. I mean. (laughs) Wait, but I want to. (laughs) Yeah. What if he doesn't, you know, what if he doesn't do do it right? (laughs) Yeah. What if he doesn't do Hey, God, have you met my son? (laughs) Do you know him? Are you sure you want to put him on charge of this? Oh, my gosh. This but we is, don't get to see that. We just see David being obedient and going, okay. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. That sounds great. <laughs> so Solomon builds it. Solomon gets to build it. Which, by the way, Solomon's whole existence is out of a bad thing. It's not like he was this chosen, wonderful, everything. I mean, it's not like, I mean, for those of you that don't know, I mean, Solomon came from that ill affair with Bathsheba, that was his mother. After David has killed her husband, <laughs> she's born a child and it has died. And David was so upset and he tore his clothes and he repented. And then they get Solomon. And this will be the son that follows David. It's amazing. Over and over and over again, you see how even through the brokenness, God takes that and makes it beautiful. Yes. And we briefly discussed Solomon, you know, a couple weeks ago, the last time I gave a history lesson, (laughs) Um, that Solomon was questionable in some of his decisions, even though he had all this wisdom, even though he had, I mean, his dad had left him a really good inheritance. (laughs) He had wealth and he was a smart guy and he knew how to do things. He made some questionable decisions and it's because of him that the Israelites got such in a mess with idols. He started that ball rolling. So something that started out so pure and and he gets to build the temple, the actual temple that will house the presence of God on earth. It ends up snowballing into something else terrible. Yeah. (laughs) And it ends up being destroyed. However, the cool thing is, and this was the whole passage that started me down this rabbit hole. Um, and the thing, the hard thing about this too, is this is kind of hard to, I mean, maybe just for me, it might be really easy for John. This is kind of hard to trace these events. It jumps around a good bit. Like you can't just read in your Bible and start on this page and then just keep reading until you get to all these things. You're going to have to come back and be like, okay, wait, now what has happened? Who is this? What? What? I mean, it requires a lot of flipping. Okay. So I do want to encourage you keep digging. Yeah. (laughs) Just Google where else can I find this and you'll come up with something. Okay. But in 1 Kings 6.1, this is when the temple starts being built. And here's the thing. This is 480 years after they've left Egypt. So God was in a box in a tent for 480 years. That's a long time. That's a long time for just a few pages in your Bible. And so in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, 
my Bible has this precious drawing that's really quite helpful, actually, of what the temple looked like and how it was divided up and where the elements are and all those things. But 8, 1 through 14 is the ark then being brought into its home. And 8, 14 of 1 Kings is not, it's not as exciting. It says, here it is, ta-da, and they've off, and they're making all these things. In 2 Chronicles 7 is the one that gives you, oh, wow, that's cool. Because 2 Chronicles 7, 1 says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down in the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. So the passages that I read drew the connection to this Second Chronicles 7 and the Spirit of the Lord coming into his temple and Acts chapter 2 of the Spirit of the Lord coming into its temple, which were the disciples, which were those followers, which let them speak in tongues and do great and miraculous things. So that presence that was so revered and scared to death the people of the Israelites, that same presence is now dropped like fire into believers. What a beautiful picture this is because those connections, Emily, that you're making, it's almost as if the scales are falling off on my eyes. To be able to see this unfold and make these connections, it had never been about us doing something for God. Solomon did not have to throw a switch for that glory of God to come down and fill that temple where... And even in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit, there was nothing that had to be done first that, okay, you got to accomplish this. You got to build me a house. You got to do this. It was where they were and the Holy Spirit or the presence of God just filling that place. How many times do we find ourselves wondering what else do we have to do? Yeah. And carrying this, this guilt that, man, I hope I'm doing enough for mm-hmm. God to be with me or God to, and, and that is a dangerous place to be Absolutely. in so many ways because it promotes a competitive nature in us mm-hmm. that, well, so-and-so prayed 10 minutes. Well, I'm going to pray 12 minutes. I'll show God that I love him more. And so we find ourselves in moments where we question God's presence and question what God is doing. We're like living into second Corinthians 12 and we're praying and, and, and we're not getting an answer. And the answer that we get doesn't even like feel like it connects. So we, we ask ourselves, man, what else do I have to do? What else? Yeah. What else do I have to give God? Look, that is a great response for people of God to have towards God's grace and goodness. But it is never a good thing to be used to manipulate God. To say that I'm going to do more just to manipulate God to show up. Right. For God to enter the circumstance. Yeah. 
It's like God says to David back then, this is not about you giving to me, David. This is about me giving to you. It's not about the house that you will build. This is about the house I will build. And I wonder in the proverbial way that God flipped through the history book into the future and said, see, Acts 2. <laughs> You're not going to understand this, but Acts 2 is coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one day the seed from your lineage, the son that's coming from you will sit in an upper room with his disciples and say, you know, the Holy Spirit, you see it around you, but soon it's going to be in you. Yeah. You see the glory of God maybe around you in the temple. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be in you. And this is going to have such dramatic consequences. And I think the place that we all find ourselves being is, is that place of competitiveness, that the scales need to be equaled out. Look, friends, we can never equal the scales. Yeah, We can never make it as if that what we give God is uh, has equal, and then we're due and we're owed this. Right. You see, those all have to come from a response to God's greatness. Right. And God's majesty and God's glory. After David hears that, that he can't build it, he's not going to build it, he goes to a place where he is, in verse 18, it says, Then King David went in, and sat before the Lord. I wonder if he was a little disappointed. God, I yeah. really wanted to do this. Yeah. God, I wanted to give this to you. Maybe God could see his heart and say, you know what? You want to give it to me so that you will get the glory. Yeah. Let me tell you, I don't need you to do something for my glory to be true or real. But this is what he says. I, he sat before the Lord and he says, who am I? Oh, Lord God. And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes. I thought it was going to be a bit. This is a temple. Then this is huge. This is, this is a small thing in the scheme of everything that is going on in the past, present, and future. And what more can David, what more can I say to you? And then verse 21. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. You see what God does through us and around us is so that we know and understand him. So we become closer to who he is. Wow. As the prophet Jeremiah said, look, The rich man boasts about his riches. The strong man boasts about his strength. The wise man boasts about what he knows. But listen, those who boast, let them boast about this, that you know and understand the Lord your God. Look at where David, look at where this story starts with David and where he leaves off. I mean, in this amazing palace, riches in the storehouse, collecting things to make this temple, the promise that his line will endure forever. He's a king at the top of his game. And when his line does come back, 
It's in a stable, in a feeding trough. Look at the things that have happened, that happened along the way. How is it that a king ends up being a poor carpenter's? I mean, they were nobodies. Who, who are they? But they had to go back to the city of David because they were in the line of David. And then there is Jesus. So when we in our minds think, how in the world is this going to happen? What? I just, I can't do it from here. This isn't going to, who am I? I can't do anything. Or gosh, look, we've come into ruin. It makes sense for those people at that time to think that David, yeah, the line of David, of course, he's a king. He's going to come in and yeah, it's going to be awesome. No. Remember the disciples in Acts 1 saying, hey, is this the time you're going to restore yeah. the king, the kingdom of David? No. <laughs> no. Still not. Still not, guys. <laughs> Temple still isn't there. <laughs> hey, you're worried about the wrong things. Let me tell you. Go yeah. and you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. God does not bring you into the kingdom so that he can get you to do something for him as if, just like David, as if God needed him to build him a house. There will be things that you do for God, but what you will do will be a response of gratefulness to what he's already done. That should cut the legs off of pride. It is all about God. May we be like the Israelites when they knelt to the pavement with their faces on the ground. I thank you for joining us today and uh, hope that you will share this and subscribe to our podcast. Our prayer is that God would continue to reveal himself to you, his glory, his majesty, his presence in, in ways that make your jaw drop. <laughs> May God hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen.